If you want to approach your birth feeling cool, calm and confident, then you are in the right place. Welcome to HypnoWhat. I'm your host Claire, a doula and hypnobirthing teacher from Edinburgh and I'm here to help you look forward to birth. So let's get going. morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you are listening. Hello and welcome to the HypnoWalk podcast. Today we're on episode 10 and we are going to be talking all about how to go about writing and researching your birth plans. Now, birth plans are something that I am really, really passionate about because a lot of the time they're just so misunderstood. Um, Every few months I run a birth planning workshop where I take a small group of pregnant families through the ins and outs of writing their birth plans and part of the reason that I thought I'd introduce birth plans today is because I'm actually running one of these workshops on this coming Thursday, the 29th of September and on the following Thursday as well, so that's the 6th of October. If you want to join me, tickets are I think, uh, an absolute bargain of £25 and you can find the link to get your ticket in the show notes today. I really truly believe that writing and researching your birth plans is the most important preparation that you can do for birth. So even if you don't want to do the deep dive on them with me next week, please listen to this episode and then maybe listen to it again with your birth partner and really work hard on thinking about what it is that you want and how you will support yourself if your birth journey takes you in a different direction from what is planned. Right, let's get into it. We are going to start with the absolute basics. What is a birth plan? Well, Put very simply, a birth plan is a rough guide for your preferences throughout labour, birth and the immediate postnatal period. So it's a document that lets your care team during birth know how best to care for you and understand some of the decisions that you would like to make. It can be a really amazing tool for communication during pregnancy as well a way for you to go through your thoughts and feelings on different things with either your birth partner or your midwife and it can really open up conversations that you might never have had otherwise. For me, if I'm ever in a situation that feels a little bit confrontational or if I'm talking about things that make me feel uncomfortable, you know, some of us get that white coat syndrome when we're talking to healthcare professionals, Well, I quite quickly lose my train of thought and this is one of the amazing things about having a written down plan in your birth notes from I think around the midpoint of pregnancy or this kind of start towards the start of your third trimester because it can give you a list of talking points and this is especially important if you've got any special circumstances relating to your pregnancy as well. You might hear people talk about birth plans as birth preferences as opposed to a plan and the thinking behind this language change is that plan makes it seem very rigid not open to change but plans can change they change all the time 
For me, the word plan works. And I actually think that softening it to preferences makes it seem a little bit like decisions that you are making are up for negotiation. It also makes it seem a bit like you're asking your care team for a favour, like, this is what I'd like to happen if that's okay. And actually, if you've made a decision about something, you can absolutely stand firm on that. Yes, your care team can make a recommendation, but it's your decisions that are final. There is no such thing as not allowed. I want you to remember that. The first thing that I always tell clients when we get to talking about birth plans is that the best made plans are always flexible. Making a birth plan does not set your intention for birth in stone. Birth is unpredictable and an ability to go with the flow. I hate that wording, just so you know but it's what everybody uses. (laughs) So an ability to go with the flow is definitely essential. No one knows how birth is going to feel to them or how they will feel in the moment. No one can say with absolute certainty that they will not encounter complications. No one can say ahead of time exactly how they would like to be supported by their partner, by a midwife, by a doctor. Even if you have given birth before, Every birth is different. And this is where I think the, oh, you don't need a birth plan argument falls flat in its face. When people patronisingly say to you, well, you have to understand, birth is unpredictable, making plans is pointless, those people can get in the bin. (laughs) My response to that is, if something is unpredictable, where complications may arise, circumstances may change, if something is an unknown, and there are lots of different variables that are out with your control, does it really make sense to go into that situation blindly with no knowledge of the process or your options? I don't think any of us here think that we can predict how birth will go. No one can. And not only is birth unpredictable, but maternity care is also unpredictable. Sadly, we don't get much continuity of care in the NHS, so it is highly unlikely that you will have ever met the staff caring for you in labour before. And you also don't know what the situation is going to be when you go into the hospital or the birth centre. Will there be a room available right away? Will there be a birth pool? Will you need to wait for an anaesthetist if you decide you want an epidural? And so what I want the focus of your birth planning to be is your expectations Having our expectations met is one of the most important contributing factors to feeling positive and satisfied with your birth experience. Now, these expectations don't want to be a full in-depth detail of your labour with step-by-step rendition of exactly what you want to happen when. That is the kind of birth plan that may well result in you feeling disappointed if things don't pan out that way. And you really don't want your birth plan to be too narrow either. For example, if you only explore the idea of giving birth at home, in the bath with your candles and your cat, then you might be pretty stressed out if you end up transferring to the labour ward or opting for an induction of labour. When I say to you that making a birth plan is the most important birth preparation that you can do. What I actually mean by that 
is that the process that you go through in making your birth plans is the most important birth prep you can do. This is where the true value of birth planning lies in helping you to figure out what you think is best for you and your baby and also figuring out what is actually available to you. When we make plans, be that for a holiday or a wedding or a night out, what is the first thing that we do? We think about what we want and alongside that, we explore the options that are actually available to us. If you do that for birth, it will open up thoughts for you and conversations with your birth partner and wider support network that you might never have had otherwise. When we proactively seek out information about our bodies, about our births, about our babies, what we do is we open doors for ourselves. We begin to see different possibilities for how our births might unfold. A study that was carried out in Taiwan on the effects of writing a birth plan found that people who wrote a birth plan and discussed it with their care team Overall, they had more positive experiences than those who did not write birth plans. And when the families that took part in this study were interviewed postnatally, those who had written birth plans had higher levels of perceived control. And the word perceived is important here because in Taiwan, the culture around birth is incredibly strict and very medicalized. So it wasn't that those who wrote birth plans physically had different experiences of birth, but their emotional experience was different. The levels of intervention between the two groups actually was not significantly different. I usually recommend to my clients that they make two or three birth plans. And some people initially think this sounds like a lot, but it means that you can use the one which is relevant for you at the time. And that allows you to keep them shorter, which means they're therefore quicker and easier for your care team to read. So what would these different plans be? So I would say start with plan A. That would be your ideal birth. What you would want to happen if everything unfolded exactly as planned. I then also recommend making a plan C. C for cesarean. So even if you are planning a home birth at the minute and think that a cesarean just will never happen for you, it's worth considering. And that's because in the unlikely event that you end up opting for a cesarean, it will be so much less stressful for you in that situation if you've already considered how it might look for you. Current stats for the UK show that around a third of births take place in theatre and half of those are unplanned or emergency cesareans. So that means that around a sixth of pregnant people plan in advance to have an abdominal birth, but it also means that around a sixth of people have a cesarean unexpectedly. And actually, one in six is a lot more common than I think most people think it will be. Unplanned cesarean birth is something that can make people feel quite frightened or stressed. If that is the case for you, then I think a really good starting point for making a birth plan for cesarean is working out the music playlist that you would have playing. This is such a lovely activity to do with your birth partner, especially if you have certain songs that really mean a lot to you. 
you can time pretty accurately when baby will be making their entry into the world. So you could choose what song will be playing as they are born. Caesareans usually rest around 45 minutes to an hour, with baby born after about 15 minutes, which is so much quicker than I think a lot of people realise as well. So plan a theatre-specific playlist. The last few songs that you listen to as a two, and then the first songs that you will hear with your baby as a three. And then you also have a meaningful oxytocin driving playlist sorted for any other time that you might need it. Your drive to hospital, to pop on the sound system when you're getting ready to push, or maybe to just have playing in your earphones to remind you of home if you have to spend a night or two in the recovery ward. I always get a little bit emotional thinking about this one because it was an activity that I really loved doing with my husband when we were waiting on our daughter to make her appearance. Now let's talk about the ideal plan. If I have heard it once, I have heard it a thousand times. Writing a birth plan for the perfect birth is setting yourself up for disappointment and I just don't think this could be further from the truth. What I want you to think about when you're doing your planning for birth is going through all of the options, mulling over the benefits and the risks of each and deciding what, at this moment in time, you think is right for you and your baby. And like I said earlier, this plan is not set in stone. Just because you've planned for a home birth does not mean you need to stay at home. If you're labouring at home and on the day it doesn't feel right, you can absolutely make the decision to head to hospital. You will not be denied care and you won't receive a lower quality of care either. Your plan's moving, your decision's changing. That does not mean that anything has failed, that you're wasting anyone's time or causing a fuss. It just means that what you think is best for you and your baby has changed and that is totally fine. And that's another reason why exploring all of the options is so crucial so that you know about them. If you imagine only using a TENS machine for relief and then on the day it just doesn't work for you, if you've gone through all these options then you already have an idea in your head of what you might like to try next, be that gas and air or getting in a birth pool or maybe you want to go straight to an epidural. The more you know the more options you have. And you don't need to have an in-depth knowledge of everything. Just an idea of what you might like to do next. So there are six different areas that I want you to consider when making your birth plans. And I'm going to run through all of these areas as we go through today's episodes, but I'll just introduce you to them all now. So we're going to talk about who you are language and communication, your birth environment, support and comfort measures, medical interventions and baby and the afterbirth. And you'll find in the show notes a link to head to my website where you can download my birth plan template that I use with my clients. This summarises all of these six sections as well. So it will be a really great reminder for you to look back after you finish listening to the episode and when you're actually going through the process of making your birth plans. So let's start. Number one, 
Who are you? And this can be as simple as, I'm Claire, this is my first baby, I'm feeling relaxed about birth and I'm excited to meet my baby. Which was what I wrote at the top of my birth plan when I had my little girl three and a half years ago. Just a short statement about your values, your expectations of birth, to introduce you to your care team. Like we said earlier, you know, continuity of care is something that despite being so beneficial for birth, the vast majority of us do not receive on the NHS. One of the reasons that continuity of care is so beneficial is because the people caring for you in labour and birth know you and they are able to then care for your specific needs better because of that. And your midwives want to give you the best care that they possibly can, so help them to do it. If there are important parts of your identity that you want your team to be aware of, then this is the place to put it. If you have any specific fears, concerns, priorities around birth and your baby, make them very clear here. You are not in any way being a diva. You are giving your care team a heads up and helping them to do their jobs better. And following on from who you are, we have language and communication. And this might seem like a bit of an odd one to begin with, but bear with me. For many people, the language that other people use to communicate with us can trigger a subconscious response from us. Let's have a wee example. So when someone uses the word pain, if someone asks you how much pain you're in, what this does is it tells your brain that there is pain somewhere and it sets it off looking for pain in your body. And it might be then that something which you were finding a little uncomfortable, but maybe wouldn't have described as painful, your brain then thinks, ah, that feeling is pain. And it tricks your brain into thinking, ah, we are in pain. If that sounds like something that might trigger you, think of words that you can replace pain with. So for me, when I was in labour, I asked that my care team ask me about the intensity of my contractions, asked me about the sensations that I was feeling, as opposed to just saying, are you in pain? How much pain are you in? Uh, contraction is another one that many people, especially now that a lot of people are using hypnobirthing, they prefer to use wave or surge. This is totally down to your preference. I think the word contraction is not necessarily negative. I think it describes the job that your muscles are doing but for some people the word contraction is just associated in their brain with painful labour sensations so they want to use wave or surge, they feel like that's more gentle. If that's you, make it known on your plan. Your care team want to be able to support you in the way that is best for you and maybe also mention names that you want to use, both for yourselves and for baby. Maybe you want your midwife to refer to baby by a specific name that you've chosen for them or the nickname that you've used for them throughout pregnancy. This really helped one of my best friends in the late stages of her labour when her midwife was talking to her about their baby girl by name. Um, and she said that was really encouraging and it really reminded her her baby was coming. And all of these things are important because they contribute to making you feel more relaxed and at ease and comfortable 
which is exactly what we want to encourage more of in birth. And just, just to point out, these don't need to be enormous paragraphs, like chapters from your autobiography. In fact, definitely don't do that. <laughs> A few simple lines and you or your birth partner can expand on anything in the moment if you feel you need to. But like we said before, it can just be good to note down anything that you think might be important or relevant so that you have these talking points when your mind is probably going to be elsewhere. And the third consideration that we're going to explore is your birth environment. And this will be split into two sections. So the physical location of where you hope to give birth and how you can influence that environment. The physical location, basically there are four options. At home, in a birth centre, on a labour ward or in theatre. And each of these options has its pros and cons, its benefits and risks. We went through these in a bit more detail in the last episode, episode nine. So definitely go back and have a wee listen to that if you missed it. But what you might want to do is have a plan for each of these locations. Or even if you don't want to make full plans for each of them, at least consider the differences between them all and think about how you could make each one of them work for you. If you're planning a home birth, I would really strongly advise that you still make a plan for going to hospital as a just in case. And also just think about what that transfer might look like and what you could do to keep yourself calm and feeling positive on that transfer into hospital. If you don't consider anything outside of birthing at home and you do need to transfer in for whatever reason, that is likely to be pretty stressful for you if you haven't considered it before. And like I said before, you know, we want to try and minimise stress as much as possible. A really important thing that I want you to remember as well when thinking about where you're going to birth your baby is that unless you're going for a caesarean or a hospital-based induction, all birth begins as a home birth. So think about how you can best support yourself and your body at home. Our episode next week is going to be all about tailoring your environment and I'm going to spend the first chunk of that chat as well talking about making yourself a little labour nest at home. But I think that's something that people quite often forget is that even if you're planning on going to a birth centre or home or hospital, you will be spending a good chunk of your labour at home. So that's the first part of birth environment, the where we actually give birth. And the second part is how we're going to tailor that environment. So like I said, next week's episode is going to be all about this. But what I want you to think about now is making sure that that environment is going to support your body's production of oxytocin. If you're new here, oxytocin is the hormone responsible for telling your uterus to contract. Obviously, a pretty important job when it comes to birthing a baby. And the thing about oxytocin, though, is it's very shy. It loves intimacy. We produce heaps of it when we kiss, cuddle, have sex, especially during and after orgasm. So it's got to be good sex, guys. While sex might not be on the cards during labour, there is no reason why kissing and cuddling couldn't be. Nipple stimulation also produces bags and bags of oxytocin. Now, think about the kind of environment that you would be comfortable doing those things in. 
Is it a brightly lit hospital room? Probably not. So think about how you can tweak that environment and make it an intimate, safe space. Turning down the lights is the easiest way to get this going. But think about how you might like your birth space to look and get that on the plan. Humanising your environment, filling it with love, that can be so reassuring during labour. And I think a really good thing to do with this side of things is to turn it into a checklist that maybe isn't part of your main birth plan that you give to your midwives. This can be something that your birth partner is in charge of so that when labour gets going and you're in your birth space, they can work their way through the list. Getting the fairy lights sorted, switching on your wee LED candles, spritzing a room spray, putting up pictures, getting your affirmations getting your affirmations out, putting on music, laying out familiar blankets from home. If they're in charge of all that, that means you can focus on yourself, your body, your baby, and they can just get everything organised the way you both want. The fourth thing that we're going to think about today is support and comfort measures. And this is how you envisage your partner and your care team supporting you physically, emotionally, medically. I want you to be exploring lots of different pain relief options here. Medical and the holistic side of things. Non-medical comfort measures might be simple things like taking control of your breathing. This is a really powerful way to regain control of your body. Find calm when your brain and body are stressing. Things like massage, aromatherapy, a TENS machine, using a birth pool, hot or cold showers, acupressure, positioning, all of these, and there's heaps more, (laughs) can be brilliant tools for coping with the sensations of labour. And when you go through the different medical pain relief options, think about the different effects on your body and your mind and think about how you like to feel. Some drugs will affect you for longer than others as well. For example, gasanir is out of your system pretty quickly. So it's easy to just try it and then pass if you don't like it. Opiates, on the other hand, are in your system for much longer. So if you don't like the sensation, unfortunately, you're stuck with it for a while. Different tools will also be available in different locations. For example, in the birth centre, you are likely to have access to mostly holistic relief and vice versa on the labour ward where you'll have access to all the medical options but maybe a little bit less on the holistic side of things. And that brings us to point five which is medical interventions and this is a massively important one as well as being an area that might well change during the course of your labour. So running yourself through the various interventions that might be offered and having a basic understanding of what they are, the maybe a bit of the pros and cons of each, that is going to be an enormous help to you on the day. Even if you go through them all and think, nope, no way, not having any of that, and then in labour they are presented to you as options, having thought about it in advance will make that decision-making process on the day much less scary and easier for you to say yes and to feel good about that decision. What I want for you in going through all of this and making these plans 
is for you to have information at your disposal to make informed decisions that you feel positively about. Even if the decisions you make completely contradict your birth plan, like we said, plans change and that's okay. So what is an intervention? Well, it's essentially medical assistance in labour and birth. It could be a membrane sweep. It could be a pessary or breaking your waters as part of an induction. It could be the use of forceps or a vacuum cup to help you birth your baby. There are many different interventions that may arise during labour and birth. And like we said, you don't need an in-depth knowledge of them all. But it's worth looking over them so that the first time you consider them isn't as you're being asked to make a decision. That is not going to feel good. If you decide to make a third birth plan, that would be kind of something that sits between your ideal and a plan C. I would use that B plan to go through what an induction might look like. Around a third of labours in the UK are induced, so it is highly likely that you will at least encounter the discussion. The majority of inductions are done for people being post-dates, i.e. still pregnant after 40 weeks. You are well within your rights to refuse induction or elect for a caesarean instead if that's your choice or you can choose to wait and see what your baby's plans are in which case you might be offered or you can request increased monitoring as an alternative to induction and that's called expectant management. Induction is offered far more routinely than it probably should be and there are a lot of risks and disadvantages to it which are quite often not laid out clearly. My lovely friend Anna who runs Hackney Hypnobirthing she created a series of Instagram posts on induction last week and they are amazing. I have linked her profile in the show notes so definitely check her out and have a flick through this incredibly detailed induction information. It's brilliant. And that is not to say that induction can't be positive. Two of my closest friends have had inductions They felt incredibly empowered by the experience and that came from knowing and understanding the different steps that the process would likely take so that when it came to making decisions and moving things on, they were already familiar with what might happen and they were able to feel in control. I also have two really lovely birth stories on my blogs from clients who elected for inductions earlier this year one at 39 weeks and one at 40 weeks and again I'll link those in the show notes. Thank you Emma and Ildi for sharing your lovely experiences with me. And that brings us now to number six which is your baby and afterbirth and this is the bit that people quite often forget when it comes to birth planning. You are actually still in labour after your baby is born The birth of the placenta is still to come and when this happens it can vary massively from a couple of minutes after baby to over an hour. A kind of general rule of thumb is around 20 minutes. You might be offered a shot of synthetic oxytocin to speed up the arrival of your placenta. This is called active management and definitely have a read about that and think about it. 
And actually, just have a think about the organ itself. You know, are you interested in seeing your placenta? Or maybe you're planning to have it encapsulated. Or you might have no interest in it at all. In which case, your care team will just whip it away. Whatever you think about it, make a note on your plan about third stage. Because in the flurry of being besotted with your new tiny human, smelling their delicious heads, you might not remember how fascinated you were by this organ that your body created to help grow your baby. So yeah, as with everything, if you have an opinion on it, stick it on your birth plan. Your immediate postnatal period with baby also requires some thought as well. So it's recommended that all babies have something called vitamin K, which helps to prevent a very rare blood clotting disorder. There are a couple of different ways that baby can have this, or you might choose not to have it at all. Either way, it's worth knowing about so that you don't need to think about it in the moment. It just saves another conversation that you don't really need to have. If there's a note on your birth plan saying vitamin K drops or a vitamin K injection, then your midwife can just get that sorted for you. Things like delayed cord clamping and immediate skin to skin are now recommended as best practice by the World Health Organization and NICE, so that's the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, who regulate medical guidance in the UK. But again, if these things are important to you, if you have specific feelings about them, it's always worth putting it down on your paper. And I think another thing that's good to pop on your plan is how you plan to feed your baby. If you would like to breastfeed, chest feed, make that abundantly clear. If you would like extra support with it, again, make that clear. Ask for help getting a good latch. Ask for help establishing feeding. There are lots of reasons why babies might be reluctant to feed immediately. Some, of course, do with little problems. However, birth is a workout for baby as well, so it's totally normal for them to be quite sleepy at first. And some drugs can make baby sleepier as well, but with the emotional and hormonal postnatal cocktail that you're going to be on, you might think that it's something you're doing wrong, and it's not. Look at lots of different ways that you can help to encourage breast or chest feeding. Skin to skin is super effective for this. Baby is on you, they can smell your milk, so when they're hungry they can naturally start to root for a nipple. You can, you'll also become much more, much more quickly. That's not good language. <laughs> but you'll become accustomed to their feeding cues quicker as well. If they're on you all the time, you'll start to notice what they do when they're feeling a little bit hungry. Similarly, if you have decided that expressing or bottle feeding or formula feeding are the right choices for you, make that clear. The last thing that you need right after birth, is someone trying to get you to use your body to do something that you've already decided you don't want to do. Oof, that rounds up my little birth plan summary for you there. A slightly longer chat than normal today, and I really hope that you find this guide useful. What I have gone through with you today is the behind the scenes of the birth plan the legwork, it's the research, the working out what your birth could look like and thinking about what you feel is best for you and your baby. 
I could not more strongly <laughs> encourage you to do the researching and the writing of your birth plans with your birth partner. And if you do that work alone, then definitely make sure that you find the time to go through it together. Your birth partner will be your main support and advocate throughout labour and birth. So it's really important that they know not just what decisions you want to make, but why you feel that way about them. It just helps them do a better job of supporting you and advocating for you. If you would like to join me at my birth planning workshop on Thursday, I would absolutely love to see you there. What we'll be doing is exploring the different areas in much more detail. I'll be talking to you about the different pain relief options available, different distraction techniques, and we're going to do a specific focus on water birth and epidural as those are the things that people are always asking me about. We're also going to be running through the process of induction and talking about how to make that a really positive, powerful experience for you. So often people come to me and they, they're really scared about the idea of being induced. And much of that comes from the fact that they just don't really know much about it and they don't understand how it will impact their bodies. So bring your birth partners as well as any rough plans that you've maybe already made. I encourage discussion as much as possible in my classes. So we'll be making a lot of space for you to bring your own circumstances to the table and have a bit of chat. Thank you so, so much for listening to me today. I'm actually off now to get my order in for a Polar Post Christmas card. <laughs> Is September too early to be thinking festive thoughts? I don't think so, but please don't judge me. <laughs> Cheers, pals. I will chat to you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hypno Walk podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And you can find out more about what I'm up to by heading to birthingparentsclub.com. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.